Okay, let's go on, Brenda, to your case. Okay, she's a 42-year-old Korean. She just had a hysterectomy for heavy bleeding and endometriosis. And in her post-op period, she lost about five pounds, and she's very slender to begin with. And she noticed a small nodule underneath uh, or right below her areola. She'd had a mammogram probably about four months prior to that that had been normal. I had a sonogram done at this time that showed a five-millimeter speculated nodule. FNA confirmed that it was malignant, and she had a lumpectomy that was kind of like a purse-string excision all around the center part of the breast and a sentinel node biopsy. That showed a well-differentiated ER positive, PR negative. It was nine millimeters by microscopic measurement, and her tube was negative by fish. She had two sentinel nodes removed. One of the two had a cluster of cytokeratin-positive cells, which even on retrospect was not visible on her H&E. So that led to some discussion about what's the benefit of further axillary dissection in that situation, but she went ahead and did it with the understanding that it's, quote, the standard of care, that's why we do sentinel node, and 15 further nodes were negative. Can you talk a little bit more about the woman herself and what her thoughts were maybe about the possibility of getting treatment and specifically chemotherapy? Well, I mean, she was just recovering from the hysterectomy, so that was kind of a shaky thing. She'd had a oophorectomy along with it, so she was kind of, you know, abruptly postmenopausal. She'd been put on a Clomera patch for like about a month before she noticed the breast lump. She was married. She had two kids, middle school and high school. Very healthy, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, exercise regularly. So this was a lot to hit her, you know, at a pretty quick period of time. Was she the kind of person who was out on the Internet getting lots of information or more just coming in saying, what should I do? Yeah, just what should I do? So, Cliff, what would you be thinking about in this situation? Well, first of all, I agree with the management. I think if we put her numbers into the memorial nomogram, which is on the web, I'm guessing with one out of two lymph nodes found by CK, nine millimeters, all this, you'd get between a 10 and 15% probability of an additional positive lymph node. I may be wrong, and it's worth putting the numbers in to see. But either way, I agree with fulfilling the conservative industry standard in people with curable disease. She failed the sentinel node test as applied because she had cells there. So that said, normally for a 9-millimeter ER-positive breast cancer, I'm erring in the direction of hormone therapy alone. The fact that there are a few cells in the lymph node might raise her risk a little bit. Certainly the TAN data that we published in JCO would suggest that with, again, important caveats. Our data is not directly applicable to this situation. We, Can you explain what you did publish? Yeah, so years ago, Kiki Tan, a pathologist at our place, went back and took hundreds of specimens from mastectomies performed in the 70s before adjuvant therapy was given. They were deemed node negative by conventional H&E staining. And she basically processed them in a way which is similar, their nodes in a way which is similar, though not identical to the sentinel node processing. Two slices were taken off the top of each block, H&E and IHC, and then they went down 50 microns and they did it again. That's still actually not quite as intensive as the sequential slicing of a lymph node in the modern sentinel node era. And without adjuvant therapy having been given, and recognizing that these patients are from decades ago when the screening was different or not at all, all those things different. One thing that stood out was that you could stratify risk, the true node negatives by repeat testing, the subset with a positive cytokeratin stain, and the subset with a positive H&E, of which there were some. So it did suggest that there's a dose effect to the tumor volume, if you will. 
But it certainly should not be convincing for anybody. And my understanding is that soon we may get the Z studies that don't support that. We'll have to see. So all I'm saying is in this case with a tumor that I typically don't want to give chemo to, there is a little tiny warning there that maybe it's a little higher risk than it looks like. And so I would, in this case, have a long conversation with this patient. And if she were potentially interested and willing to consider chemotherapy and only in that setting, would I then send off the recurrence score, the Oncotype DX, and I would have a pre-stated plan to use it. That is, I would agree with her before we got it that with a score below whatever threshold we set, that we wouldn't give chemotherapy, and with a score above, we would. If we're not going to use it to adjudicate that decision, I wouldn't do the test. Sandy? Well, I guess I'm not as militant about the use of Oncotype as you are. I Oh, I don't mean to sound militant. I said I would do it only if she would even consider chemo. <laughs> right, I, but I, I, my advice is to not give it. It's militant. <laughs> oh. It was pretty militant in my opinion. Oh, okay. But in, I'm a pacifist from a Quaker school. <laughs> I get the Oncotype in any patient that would have been included in the analyses, the B14 or B20 analyses. I mean, this patient would have been a little different in that she had cytokeratin positive cells. And in that study, they didn't look at it. But she certainly has, a, you know, it's essentially no negative disease based on the B14 and B20 data. And, and in those times, even though it's well differentiated, and more often than not, it's going to be a lower, lower intermediate risk, I would absolutely get the oncotype because I think it's very important for the patient to have that information. Because what I've seen, and I get it in all patients, as I said, except you know, maybe if someone has, you know, is 90 years old and has comorbidity, they're not going to get chemotherapy. But I find that it changes your discussion. You can have that discussion before. You can have a lot of discussions before about a lot of things. What if, what if, what if? But when you actually have the information, I think it's much easier to talk with a patient about the option. So I would get an oncotype in this patient. What about Cliff, the patient with H&E? positivity, under two millimeters, over two millimeters? Are there situations where you would do an archetype in that situation? Again, yes. I mean, for me, it's about how the information will be used. If the patient walks in and says, my mother got chemotherapy and under no conditions will I ever get it, then I would not send the oncotype. I would send her out with hormone therapy. And conversely, if she says, if you don't give me chemo, I'm going across the street to New York Hospital to get it anyway, I also wouldn't get the oncotype. I think that the test should be used when it will inform therapy. And I have to say, at my faculty meeting yesterday morning, we saw for the first time a document from one of the insurers that we deal with that a physician has to sign before they'll pay for the oncotype. And the document said... You agree that if the score's low, you're not going to give chemo, and if the score's high, you are. Wow. Well, but when you think about it, if you're not using the test to make a decision in a rational way, then what exactly is the argument for getting it? Interesting. You could consider it a piece of information, but... I yeah, guess it is a piece of information for what? Right. But, you know, maybe you can't be sure exactly what it's going to do. But I guess my question to you is, are you willing to consider oncotype results in a patient who's clearly has a node positive tumor? I actually am. And again, it's all about this discussion. So the younger they are, the more likely I am to not be that interested in the score to adjudicate this decision. But the more on the fence they are about chemotherapy and with age, especially so as they get older, I think it's a reasonable thing to extrapolate with, again, the giant proviso that all of the data that we're basing this on is actually pretty small. Scott? I agree with what Dr. Swain said in the sense that a theoretical discussion of a patient about chemotherapy all of a sudden becomes completely irrelevant when you have that piece of paper and you say your risk of recurrence is 12%. Patients make completely different, they just make completely different decisions. 
I don't disagree so. with either of you guys. I just have a feeling that what you're saying is not different from what I'm saying. It's if you knew your patient was not going to take chemo. No, no, of course. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. But a lot of people say a lot of but things yeah, they, until right. they are faced with, okay, you're going to die tomorrow or something. Half I mean, there are a lot people, of I don't get an oncotype that, that says that. No, ever. I know, but <laughs> some of the people that come see Extreme me say example. this isn't. They're sitting in the chair saying, it's not me. I don't have breast cancer. You got it right. wrong. So once it sinks in over the few weeks, the oncotype comes back. Don't you find that your discussions mm-hmm. the second time you see somebody are completely different? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I can always order the test again. What I'm really not that in favor of is the argument that everybody with early stage breast cancer should get the test. There are people who are simply not going to act on the result. It's amazing. I could just sit here thinking about it. I think it was the last consensus conference where they said there was a one centimeter, no negative bar. Wasn't that the consensus conference Sure. for using chemo? And just the incredible bind oncologists were in around those days about, you know, what do you do? And it just thought, and I try to explain this to the colon people nowadays, and you know what's going on, but because this may be coming in colon cancer, it's being looked at by the NSABP, but just the whole decision-making now is just so different. Alan? Hey, you get a patient with a small, node-negative breast cancer, strongly ERPR positive, grade one. You go over it with your pathologist, and it's a pathologist you trust. It's really an excellent breast pathologist, and the breast pathologist tells you it's grade one. You then send it out for an oncotype, and you get back an intermediate or high score. Who do you believe? And is the oncotype data, do they have enough patients in this small subset that we know that the piece of paper you get with that number is more accurate than what we had traditionally believed? Well, I I don't know. I mean, I could pull up all the numbers now, but they do have thousands of patients now that they have this oncotype result. And, you know, if you keep subsetting it to all these little things like you are now, obviously the numbers are going to be smaller. But the way I look at it, and we all have to kind of decide how we're going to use the data and treat patients, is that the biology is important. And, you know, you can look at it all you want under the microscope, and we've done it for years. I've been doing this 25 years, and you can be wrong. Where, to me, the oncotype helps look at the biology of that particular patient more clearly and looking at other genes besides just looking at what the cells look like on H&E. So I go with the oncotype result. So before I came in here to join the meeting, I was on the cell phone with a patient with a 6-millimeter tumor and an oncotype had been sent, it was 27, and she had started radiation therapy already and now was asking about whether she should get chemotherapy or not. And the truth, my bias with that score is that she probably should consider it, but there's absolutely no evidence at all for those patients. And my other vignette in this regard about the issue of sending the test willy-nilly is I saw a patient in consultation a few months ago who had a 4-millimeter invasive duct carcinoma, ERPR positive, was already on a hormone therapy, postmenopausal in her 60s, and unknown to her, her surgeon had sent off the oncotype, which came back 38. And so, you know, you're left with this unbelievable dilemma, which was only amplified by the fact that she didn't understand that this was looming out there for her, and then she's shopping the East Coast for opinions about what to do with a 4-millimeter tumor after radiation therapy with an oncotype score of 38, and I don't know the answer to that question, but she's getting chemotherapy now as a consequence, for better or for worse. This just illustrates my point that everybody involved should have a plan like they do for every other test they order for how they're going to use the results. That's all I'm saying. So you're giving her CMF? I think she's getting, she's not being treated by me, but she may be getting AC. What would you give her? 
in that setting, I don't think it would matter which therapy you give her at all. I would put her on the CLGB randomized trial if I could put her on the four cycles of dose dense AC versus four cycles of dose dense But the problem with that case, Cliff, that you just mentioned mm-hmm. is that the test was sent off by the person who was not going to be treating or making a treatment. So you said it's by the surgeon. I agree. Yeah. Gary? So the sonogram from Memorial for when to do a completion adenectomy is a bit of a puzzle to me. And when do you, after sentinel node, when you see an IHC positive or microscopic lymph node, what level on the nomogram are you going to recommend the completion adenectomy? And then I have a question about the treatment of this So patient. interesting to me, because I think this is sort of the same discussion we're having, and it's really about the art of medicine. So there's an 85-year-old where the risk of further lymph nodes is 7%, and everybody involved concludes it's not worth it. And there's a 35-year-old where the risk is 5%, and everybody concludes it is. The nomogram doesn't tell you when to operate. The nomogram gives you information to make a decision in the context of the case. Yeah, well, we know taking the lymph nodes out is not therapeutic. It may no, have it's some implications for treatment, right. and couldn't you radiate the axilla rather than operating? Well, those are the debates we have time after time after time. You're exactly right. But what it does let you make is an informed decision with the patient about whether there will be a practice-changing result of that surgery. What happened? Can we find out what happened with the patient? So she had an oncotype done, and her score was 20, which translated to a 13% risk of recurrence. And for that degree of risk, she said she would take chemotherapy, realizing that there wasn't proven benefit to chemotherapy. And she got TC times 4 and then went on to Arimidex, which... Again, she was premenopausal at the time this cancer must have been brewing, and the discussion we had this morning was, even though her ovaries out, should she be getting tamoxifen rather than Arimidex? I've had that major discussion with some of my patients, and actually we were talking about it over lunch, and I've had a patient who just, exactly the same scenario practically, and I recommended tamoxifen because, you know, it's a different mechanism of action. It may actually be the right choice for those patients. I mean, we don't know. We're testing that in other trials and soft So I've had that exact same discussion with this patient. I just finally, after coming back from San Antonio, she wanted AI so much. I said, fine, if you want an AI, I'll give you an AI. But I usually, for premenopausal women, I recommend tamoxifen. And in this situation, would have also. So Cliff, this is an unusual situation where the woman's had a recent ophorectomy. What would you be thinking about in terms of hormones? I would give her tamoxifen too, probably. I think it's pretty abrupt to take somebody from menstruating to menopause to aromatase inhibitor. And you know, the data for ATAC doesn't make me feel like I'm compromising anything when I choose to take a patient like this who wouldn't have been eligible for ATAC and use the industry standard tamoxifen. 